0: Say
1: the unsung heroes of film and TV.
0: Script supervisor.
2: Script supervisor. Script supervisors, the unsung hero. I kind of like that. Script supervisors, unsung heroes of film and TV, was created from interviews of over a dozen script supervisors from across the U.S. Episodes were written and produced by Karen Ruby and Eden Woolworth, edited by Eden Woolworth, and contains original music by Edith Mudge.
1: It's a very, very difficult, you're in the firing line kind of job.
0: I bet there are more people in America who know about the Game of Thrones coffee cup than know who their own congressperson is.
1: It was on purpose. Totally on purpose. If we do our job really well, it is completely invisible. We are the secret behind the scenes.
2: In this episode, I interview Sharon Watt. In addition to being one of the administrators of NYSSN, the New York Script Supervisors Network, Sharon has worked on many Golden Globe and Emmy award-winning films and TV shows such as The Americans, Pose, When They See Us, Boardwalk Empire, The Night Of, and Mr. Robot. Fun fact, Sharon also created our podcast logo. After the interview, we have a discussion about the infamous Game of Thrones coffee cup and find out what really happened. Hello, Sharon. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. So because a lot of script supervisors, it seems, sort of fall into this career, it was not generally something we grew up as a child going, I'm going to be a script supervisor when I grow up. I'd love to hear... Your path. How did you become a script supervisor? You know, you're absolutely right, because I don't think it's a job that
1: most people even know about. I think that's one of the paradoxes of our job is that if we do our job really well, it is completely invisible. We are the secret behind the scenes. But yeah, I studied media arts in college. I wouldn't say it was intense like film school, so I kind of left feeling that I was still sort of lacking in what I really wanted to find out about. I'm from England, and after graduating, I ended up coming to New York to look for work experience. And I was doing a bunch of internships, the most interesting of which was with director Hal Hartley. I was a director's assistant. So I was doing that for a little bit. I was kind of really looking forward to learning more about what a director does on set. And then I sort of realized that my role in that company was that I was kind of holding the fort. So whenever that director went to make movies, I didn't really get to see that. He knew a lot of people in the downtown art scene, you know, and this was around the time when DV was the new medium and everyone was making movies on mini DV. He had a friend who was making a movie out of a play, and he sort of pointed me in that direction. So, was like, well, you'd be really good at this. You're really organized. <laughs> so I kind
2: of sort of fell into it. <laughs> <laughs> so you've worked on both film and TV, but it looks like you're more into TV. Do you prefer TV? Was that a conscious choice or... How do you choose which projects you work on? Well, I think like most people, for quite a while, you just kind of take what comes along. I've been
1: a scripts advisor for about 20 years, so it's taken a while. But I'm at the point where I kind of feel that the way I work is somewhat distinctive based on the body of work that I've done and what I'm capable of. So I'm lucky to say that I can sort of have a choice from time to time. And I'm extremely lucky that I work out of a very busy production hub, which is New York. The TV thing, that wasn't really a conscious choice. That was just the way the industry has gone. When I was kind of starting out, I started out doing a lot of low budget features, you know, and I was kind of the queen of the tier ones for a while. (laughs) Successful television model for a while. It was cop show of the week, like medical show of the week but became this like much more bigger, richer arena precipitated by studios like HBO. Now the line between television and film is kind of blurred. You have these stories that are told in a very sort of long form way. That way you could tell a very dense story with cinematic qualities, but you didn't have to wrap it up in two hours. You had the time to sort of tell that story that evolved over the course of whatever it was, like six episodes or eight episodes. I think a lot of studios became very interested in doing that. And I sort of was lucky to find my way through that. And I've got a couple of lucky breaks and sort of excellent jobs that really of so took me to the next level, you know.
2: Awesome. So what makes your day on set? Like something that happens and you're just like, yes, that's a good
1: day. Well, I guess some acknowledgement for something. Sometimes it's for something very simple. But usually when I send out my breakdown that I've spent many hours on and it gets published by the production office, then I don't hear anything. I know it's out there and everyone has it. And it's like, if they have any questions, they can come to me. But there's definitely been a lot of times where it's very obvious that people don't look at it. But then there's, there's rare occasions where like, somebody sort of comes up to me and sometimes it's a day player who's just come in for the week or something and they just got this document that gave them a quick rundown of what's happening. And they're just like, oh, th- thank you for doing this document. And I'm just kind of like, thank you for reading it. <laughs> I can just tell from the questions that I get that you obviously didn't read the document because the answer is right in the document. So it can be something as simple, simple as that. Nice. That's only person that really knows how good a script supervisor is, is the director. When a director has really sort of seen that I've made a difference that day or that scene and acknowledged that, then that really makes my day. (laughs) And I've worked with some directors who sort of give you the quiet word at the end of the day. It's just like, I'm really glad you said that because that made a huge difference. But I'm always really taken by surprise by some directors who'd be like, well, Sharon had a good idea, you know, and they just like put it out there. I think one of the secret skills of script supervisors is the skill of inception. You know, <laughs> whenever you have an idea, we try to sort of make it seem like it's the director's idea. Right. I'm sure all of us have seen directors just literally just like repeat the exact same words that I just said to them. But then there's also the directors who'd be like, well, Sharon had a great idea. And they just like make the set really open for not just me, but for anyone to make a comment. And that's a very comfortable place to be.
2: Yeah. So I guess what you're saying is when you're a sung hero. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> when I cross the
1: divide from being an unsung to a sung hero. Yes. Then that's
2: what makes it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's all about awareness and invisibility. I guess in a nutshell, like we work in isolation, the results of our work are invisible. So when someone sort of shines a light on that and is very aware of what we do that sort of elevates us because it is a very very difficult job but it's a very high stress you're in the firing line kind of job so when someone shines a light on how we're able to excel under the circumstances you know then that that's something that I really sort of take to heart that was perfect
2: <laughs> Let's talk about NYSSN for a minute I'd love to hear about the origin of this group, the philosophy, and how can somebody get involved if they want to join?
1: Well, NYS has been around for a while, actually. Um, Almost 25 years, since 1996. So it was around when I first started script supervising. And um, it's funny because another crew member told me about it. You know, it was actually like a sound mixer friend of mine. And he was just like, have you heard of the New York Script Advisors Network? And I was just like, what? what is this? And are just like, oh, it's, it's kind of like where script advisors get together and they talk and share stuff. And I'm like, what is the secret club? You know? <laughs> like, how do I get in? And I eventually sort of found out it was informally run network. It's created by Peggy Stutton. Um, Shout out to Peggy. hmm <laughs> And, um, you know, the oranges are interesting because even though she was in the union, there wasn't enough support or communication or resources. She was just like, this this isn't the place that I thought. And I I believe it sort of just started with literally just like a handful of script advisors just meeting up in each other's apartments and having coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Fun. Um, So when I joined the network, I got in contact with Peggy. And then our first meeting was at a coffee shop. I still sort of like this tactic today. I tell people, call up a script advisor and take them out to coffee. Ask if it's okay to take them out to lunch and pick their brain. That happened with me and I, that's happened with like other people that I've met through NYSSN. That's networking. As soon as you pick up the phone and call up another script advisor and you agree to meet for coffee, then you have a network. And then just keep on doing it. And then more people will want to join, will want in i definitely learned that if you just get a bunch of script supervisors together, there's stuff to talk about. I mean, like sometimes we're going to have a two hour meeting and then it goes on over three hours, you know, <laughs> we're so used to working alone and we have so many frustrations and there's a lot of situations where we can't speak our mind. We've been shut down or we've been out of step or we've said something that ruffled feathers and we don't know whether that was the right way to deal with things. And it's kind of like the only person that can really understand what that's about is another script supervisor. I mean, we try to have a meeting topic, but even when we don't, there's always stuff to talk about.
2: Do you have to be in the union to join NYSSN? No, you don't.
1: The whole point of NYSSN was to sort of create a space for script Advisors, whether they're union, whether they're non-union, just to talk about script Advisor issues. And there wasn't a space for that at the union.
2: So, if somebody's listening to this podcast and they live in, around, or outside of the New York area but are interested in joining the NYSSN, how would they do that? All the information is on our
1: website, which is
2: nyssn.org. We have a
1: membership application form and all the details about our dues and, you know, what we do and the me- type of meetings that we have. But yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, go to our website and sort of see whether it's something that seems like the right community for you. And then if they're not from the East Coast area, then, you know, we usually send them to the advisors the Facebook group since that's a, like an international group and it's a much bigger group. Are you talking about script supervisor's exclamation yes. point? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I forgot about the exclamation point. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that is a huge group. It's like 3,300 members and, and that's like all over the world, you know. So there's a fair chance that they live in some state or some country that doesn't have a community that They might be able to sort of find somebody or a group of people that are a bit closer to them and a bit more relevant to the discussions. you know a lot some of the discussions in a normal situation when we are all working are obviously very specific to issues in the 161 contracts and like how things work in our jurisdiction in our production hub in new york so so yeah some of our discussions you know like do get very specific like that got it got it
2: Thank you so much for spending the time with me, talking with us on this podcast. It was helpful and enlightening and making a huge difference for all the script supervisors out there. So thank you. Well, thank
1: you. Thank you for such an enjoyable conversation and also for doing this. I hope it does shed light on our craft and what we do. Thank you. You just sung me. (laughs) I just
2: sung you. (laughs)
1: We need to have like a sort of fanfare,
2: like, (laughs) awesome. The extraordinary script supervisors on this season include Dawn Gilliam, who scripted Black Panther, Boys in the Hood, Fences, Star Wars Episode IX, and she also got IMDb to create a new category for script supervisors. Marjorie Kimbrough has scripted Academy Award nominees and Emmy and Golden Globe winners such as Harriet, Fear the Walking Dead, and The Good Lord Bird. Known as the author of the quintessential book, Beyond Continuity, Script Supervising for the Modern Filmmaker, Mary Savolsky has scripted multiple Academy Award and Golden Globe winning films, including Life of Pi and Michael Clayton. Randy Feldman has taught the craft of script supervising for over 20 years. Her professional credits include the Oscar-nominated Mighty Joe Young and Sundance winner Guinevere. Barry Caldwell scripted on Beautiful Boy, Ugly Betty, Key & Peele, Queen of the South, and the cult classic Cabin Fever. Sharon Watt scripted culture-shifting and award-winning shows Pose, When They See Us, Mr. Robot, The Americans, and Boardwalk Empire. Hannah Driscoll script supervises the Emmy-nominated series Pen15, as well as big-budget commercials for well-known brands. Script supervisor on Emmy-nominated Dolly Parton's Heartstrings, the originals Ozark and Zombieland 2 Double Tap, Tony Cray. Self-described internet prankster Nick Robinson script supervises commercials starring A-list talent and films that premiere at top-tier festivals. In addition to Script Soup, her book on script supervising, Beatrice Bellino creates experimental films and has scripted Emmy Award winners Friday Night Lights, Revolution, and Fear the Walking Dead. Shadia Sapernia scripted Lena Waite's Tribeca Award-winning series Girls' Room and also writes and directs. Administrator of Los Angeles Script Supervisors Network, Robert Goodwin's credits include the Emmy Award-winning Dark Web and Love Is Not Love, which snagged over 100 festival wins. And finally, multi-talented Ro Moore scripts everything from films and commercials to live TV, teaches script supervising, and is a member of the DGA, Local 871, and Producers Guild. As we've said throughout this entire first season, we believe that script supervising is one of the most misunderstood and underappreciated crafts in all of filmmaking. And when continuity mistakes make the final cut, which they often do, we are the first ones people want to blame. But it's not always our fault. In fact, it's almost always not our fault. So often, our notes to the editor say something like, This won't match. Told director. Director okayed. Or, rolled on rehearsal before last looks, or a million other scenarios that we as script supervisors have no control over. If you've been on set, you know that any number of things can go wrong at any time, and you just have to make it work. Like if a prop breaks or the red pants from wardrobe got ruined and they don't have doubles. You don't shut the whole production down. You put the actor in pink pants and move on. Anytime something like this happens, there's always someone that says something like, If the audience is so concerned with their pants, then we aren't doing a good job entertaining them. And we all shake our heads in agreement. But what's the story behind the most infamous continuity error of all time? What series of unfortunate events created the Game of Thrones coffee cup? How did that cup make it all the way to air? Barry Caldwell, Robert Goodwin, Tony Cray, and Roe Moore float a few different theories. And spoiler alert, we may actually have the true answer.
0: The Game of Thrones coffee cup was such a big deal. I bet there are more people in America who know about the Game of Thrones coffee cup in detail than know who their own congressperson is. It amazed me that that mistake was so quick to get blamed on our craft when I'm positive that wasn't. When I first began doing this, I would watch movies and I would see the mistakes and I'd go, oh, scripty sucks, right? And now that I've been doing it, it's like, no, 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 no. Take one had crappy continuity, but the performance was great. It took seven takes to have her pick the phone up in the correct hand, but by then, the performance was drained. They have to use the best performance. And I so tried to explain this to people that actors will drink their coffee and sometimes they screw up and don't put it at their feet. They put it on the table. I said, I guarantee you they did 30 takes of that scene. But for some reason, that one had the best performance or the best camera move, the smoothest focus pull. And... They probably saw it because the show had 15 script supervisors. Now, I have no idea which one did that scene, but whoever it was, whichever one of the ones it was, trust me, someone saw it. I'm sure the actors saw it. I'm positive that was not in every take. But when you do a scene the wrong way, the DP assures you, he goes, that was just for the one look. They won't use this in the cut. I'll go to my notes and I'll say, this was for the one look. Do not use this shot. Use the, 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 this. Sure enough, that shot is always the one the editor uses for whatever reason.
2: Even when we make sure everything matches perfectly on set, crazy things can happen in post. Barry shares a great example of how some continuity errors on screen are completely out of our control.
0: It was a fight scene. And you shoot the, the fight and two shots over, over, single, single. And all of a sudden the punch in the nose comes and you got to put the blood up the actor's nose and you back it up a little bit like a pickup. And then you swing again and then they, they kind of blow air out of their nose and the blood comes out. But the thing is you shoot it past the punch and you cut. Then you back it up and do a pickup and do it with the blood and the editor pops in at that moment. And voila, movie magic. But they edit for some reason in ways you would never think they would. They cut back to the two-shot after the punch, and the blood wasn't there. And they cut back to the close-up, and there's the blood again. They cut back to the two-shot, the blood wasn't there. Anybody that saw this at the time was probably thinking, oh, scripty's an idiot. But yeah, it happens. The Game of Thrones coffee cup. I'm positive that was not in every take. And normally, they can erase those things in post. It's easy to erase. And for some reason, it didn't. I've heard rumors that they erased it, but they did the wrong render out of it, or just editors watch the same scene a hundred times. And if at some point your brain just doesn't see those kind of details, but for whatever reason, they got used in the cut and it got by 30 people. It got by the editor, the assistant editor, the post supervisor, the visual effects supervisor. It got by five people at least, if not more.
2: I love all the theories and rumors of what everyone heard really happened. Rob also believes the coffee cup debacle is likely not the script supervisor's fault.
3: That cup is pretty infamous because I was just last week explaining my job to somebody and that was one of the first things they brought up was, oh, so that Game of Thrones cup. And it's like, uh, yeah, everyone seems to bring that up, but really not our fault. (laughs) You know, we are not... Totally responsible for that sort of thing. Especially when when it came out that the actor put it down right as they were filming. It was the kind of thing where all those cups should have been collected by somebody way before us. And who knows, we could have caught it and done another take and they still used it. Because one of the things I heard was that they were going to digitally remove it because they liked that take so much and then something happened. With the digital removing where it just didn't end up making the final cut with the fix and it's like well what are we supposed to do in that situation you know the ad's missed it the props department missed it It, maybe we missed it but hey if everyone else missed it how are you just going to put it on us and if we didn't miss it and it still made it it's like well it's out of our hands
2: One of the many things that makes Rob unique is that he doesn't agree with the earlier theory that viewers won't care about the pink pants.
3: What I tell a lot of directors when they give the, oh, no one's ever gonna catch that. Somebody's gonna catch it. You know, I was the kind of guy that would catch it. And that's what kind of drives me to prevent it from happening. I often tell them, you're right, they might not catch it the first time, but we want people to watch this thing more than once, right? And if they watch it more than once, eventually they're gonna see it. And once they see it, they never unsee it. They see it every time. (laughs) One person catches it and they spread it, other people will keep seeing it, and then it becomes a thing like the Game of Thrones cup. You think anybody's gonna watch that episode again and not be waiting for the cup? The biggest problem with once they see something like that is a, a break in escapism and the suspended disbelief of being in the movie When they catch it, they get taken out of the story and they're focusing on something that's not what you want them to focus on. And that, I think, is usually what appeals most to directors when I bring it up, is that a continuity error is a distraction from what they are putting all their effort into, which is the performances and keeping people in the story. So if a continuity error brings them out of the story, it's distracting them from what the director is working so hard to do. And nobody wants to waste their time. I don't want to waste anyone's time by not bringing up an error because I think nobody's going to care. And directors don't want to waste their time thinking that we put all this work in and nobody's going to appreciate it because they're distracted by something like a cup.
2: Okay, now Tony has a completely unconventional theory of how the cup ended up on HBO. I mean, they could have gotten it in post. They could have edited it out. Of course they could have. You know? Of course they could have. They left it in on purpose. They had to do something else besides argue about that it was so low lit that you had to change your TV screen in order to see it. So they just went,
1: let's let's just mess people's brains up. And it created so much social media. (laughs) They know social media, they know why. It was on purpose, totally on purpose. And it was fabulous.
3: I have so much respect for those people.
2: (laughs) Well, she definitely had the most thought-provoking take. But next, here's Ro with what really happened.
3: Dude, I knew what happened with Kafka. (laughs) As soon as I saw it, I was like, that was a rehearsal take. There's no doubt in my mind that was a rehearsal take. And then I was at some class and somebody who was a friend of the script supervisor who was on it was like, yeah, that was a rehearsal take. And the thing is, they actually color, they painted over it in post. It was supposed to not be seen. They painted it what happened is they exported the wrong version and gave that to HBO.
2: Mystery solved. Everybody's been talking about this. Like, yes. how did that happen? And you just solved it. Yes. You so, are my hero. There you go. And there you have it. Mystery solved. That's it for this episode. Special thanks to all the script supervisors who were featured and to you, our listener. I hope you had fun and maybe even learned something. Script Supervisors, Unsung Heroes of Film and TV was created and produced by Karen Ruby in consultation with the Los Angeles Script Supervisors Network. Episodes were edited and produced by Eden Woolworth with original music composed by Edith Mudge. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a rating or leave a comment. And if you know anyone who makes movies without a script supervisor, let them know about us. We are the Script Supervisor Podcast on Instagram.